episode four. Neuroplasticity is learning. This is Andy Dovey. Hello and welcome to episode four. I'm sure you might well be aware of the word neuroplasticity. There's uh, a lot of talk about it in uh, brain injury circles. And if you're not aware of it, it's defined as the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections, new neural pathways. And this isn't just something that happens when we're young. It happens throughout our lives. And the more we perform a certain action or behave in a certain way, the more it gets almost physically wired into your brain. So this, needless to say, can be positive or it can also be negative. We can learn things correctly and get into good habits, but equally the opposite too. And your repeated mental states, responses and behaviours become neural traits. Neuroplasticity allows the neurons, the nerve cells in the brain to adjust uh, in response to new situations or possibly changes in their environment, which in simple terms, I prefer to call learning. I think that's something we can all understand and all relate to. For us brain injury survivors, we've got some degree of brain damage. So does this mean we can learn? Or possibly does it mean we can relearn? Short answer is yes. Back to when I was in hospital, in my favoured neurosurgery ward, I was unable to grip much with my left hand. I remember one day feeling a bit chilly and I tried to pull up the sheet, the bed sheet with my left hand, just gripping it between my left first finger and thumb. And it kept slipping through my hand. I couldn't work out what was going on. What was going on was I couldn't actually grip. I thought there was something wrong with the sheet or it was trapped or something that I couldn't pull it up. But I actually had no dexterity between my left thumb and forefinger and no strength. So I couldn't grip even a, a light piece of material between them and move it. Naturally enough, I thought the problem was with my left hand. But of course, the issue was really in my brain. The electrical impulses being generated by my brain when I thought, I need to pull that sheet up, were trying to send signals to the muscles in my hand. But those signals weren't getting through, or possibly the part of my brain that generated these signals was damaged, and therefore the signals were scrambled, interrupted. Maybe they just weren't starting. They weren't being fired, in other words. But the net result was spasticity in my left hand. I also had balance issues. I couldn't stand up without swaying around like a tree in a hurricane, and I couldn't walk unaided. Uh, 
again, this wasn't due to my muscles suddenly becoming weak and uncoordinated. I hadn't suddenly suffered some kind of instantaneous muscle wastage. No, this was due to brain damage. And it was due to the fact that the signals from my brain trying to get me to walk, trying to get my limbs and muscles moving at the correct time, in the correct way, and in the correct sequence, in order to stay upright and walk, it wasn't happening. My limbs and muscles were fine, but my brain wasn't. As a little aside here, there's similar issues for sufferers of Parkinson's disease. Medication tries to rebalance the chemicals in the brain, mainly dopamine, in order to alleviate the symptoms. Um, recent advances in technology have, have resulted in surgery, believe it or not, to implant microelectrodes in the brain, which enables deep brain stimulation, which in turn can alleviate some of the more severe symptoms experienced by the Parkinson's disease sufferer, things like the shaking and, and, and all the rest of it. So here we are, for me, over seven years later, how come I can now walk again? Oh, I, okay, I use a stick, but I can walk again. And I can grip better with my left hand. I can actually drum again. I can't do it for too long because I get fatigued, but I can actually hold a drumstick in my left hand and I can do some things that some people think, hmm, that's pretty good. In my head, I know that's rubbish compared to what, <laughs> what I could do. So how come? Well, if you think about a toddler learning to walk, it takes time, practice, and lots of repetition before the wobbly, stumbling toddler can walk and run with, with good balance, good coordination. What's happening in all this time is that the toddler's brain is, is learning to trigger the correct electrical signals at the correct time and in the correct sequence in order to stimulate the correct muscles to do their job in a beautifully coordinated piece of nature's bioengineering. And all of a sudden, the young person can move from a walk to a run easily, effortlessly. They don't fall over. They can do sharp turns. They can bend down. They can pick a ball up, whatever. The toddler's brain is being hardwired to perform this task. I like to call it learning. So when we see a professional sports person, let's say a, a professional cricketer, and a batsman hits the ball out into the outfield and the fielder is running full pelt, judging the pace of the ball and the height of the ball, and they're able to pull off an amazing catch, possibly diving or whatever it is, one-handed. That's the result of hours, hours, weeks, days, years, months of practice, of learning. So by doing all these actions over and over and over and over, the neurons in the brain and the whole central nervous system generate synapses, connections, that 
kind of become sort of information superhighways. And, and, and they're so efficient, super efficient at what they do that we don't even think about it. We don't think. We just respond. We just walk or run or we play shots at tennis or golf or we sit down at the piano and we play a tune or we we juggle or we drive a car or whatever it is we've learnt it we've done it over and over and over and over and that's that's basically neuroplasticity in action and i know from my own experience that when you sorry i'm laughing because i'm recalling stuff that i'll tell you about in a minute but when you have to really think about something that you've not really thought about since you were a small boy I'm thinking about walking. So when you really have to think about walking as opposed to you just do it and you have to make every movement a conscious exercise because those uh, information superhighways have been damaged or disrupted or they're not working or whatever. It's not only really, really difficult to do that, but it's also massively tiring because the brain is working overtime to reroute those signals, build new information superhighways. But before it can build those, it's got to learn and relearn the new routes. So you've moved from what we might call subconscious movement, i.e. just walking, to conscious movement, where you have to think about every single step, every single movement, where does this foot go? That goes there. Okay, this next one. Oh, my shoulder was a bit too far forward there. I need to go back a bit. That's hard work. Now, why I was, why I was laughing a bit earlier is that in the early days of my physiotherapy, I remember the physiotherapist asking me to walk forwards down a corridor. And then when she told me, look to one side but keep walking. And in my head, I'm thinking, you've got to be serious, right? That's, I mean, give me, a, want something a little bit more challenging than that, for heaven's sake, walk forward and when told to look left, look left. I mean, what's the point of that? Anyhow, <clears throat> I lurched forwards. I wouldn't call it walking in those days. And I got a few strides down, a few lurches down. And the physio said, look left. And as I did so, I dived into the wall head first on my left hand side, just collapsed, just fell over. Reason being, I hope you're not laughing too much, by the way. The, re the reason being, it was just simply too much for my brain to cope with. I can now, fortunately, look around as I'm walking kind of to a degree, but it makes me very unsteady. So I've learnt that that word again, I've learnt when I need to look around, I've learned to stop walking, steady myself, and then look around. It's still a very conscious exercise, and it tires me out, but it's a little bit safer. My point then is that, is that we can relearn things, but relearning is not a shortcut, and it's really the same as learning. The, the, the difference is that Unlike the toddler, we can remember 
we used to walk okay, as, as an example. And we therefore expect to be able to do it again fairly quickly and easily. I know I did. So whatever your brain trauma deficits are, try and look upon them as learning opportunities. Say to yourself, if I had to learn this thing, well, whatever it is that you're trying to do from scratch, how long would it take me and how many times would I have to do it in order to be reasonably proficient? And remember, your estimations will be based on your prior experience when your brain was operating at 100%. It isn't now. So the learning is going to take much longer and it will be very draining due to your reduced brain processing power. So I think that's it for now. Uh, in the next podcast, I'm going to be looking at emotional rehabilitation. Ooh, that's got you intrigued, hasn't it? Yeah, emotional rehabilitation. We tend to talk a lot and a lot is spoken about rehabilitation being physical. That, and I've, I've done it myself in this podcast, learning to walk again. But we have to understand with brain injury, with brain attacks, with strokes, there's also an emotional rehabilitation that needs to go on and that tends to get ignored. So quite interesting podcast coming up next time around. Please, when you get a chance, go to brainattackmusic.com, find out more about the project. And if you want to follow me on social media, please ask questions, send me emails, send me 160 character messages on social media, whatever. Uh, until next time, look after yourself, take care and keep on keeping on. Bye for now.